If the British have three ships and John Paul Jones has one ship, John, John Paul, Paul Jones, Jones has, has two, two sh- has two ships. <laughs> has two ships. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Naked Apple Slices of History. Today, we're getting into uh, some symbols of America because, uh, well, it's good to know. Might keep you from embarrassing yourself in front of a whole class of kids. Might. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not, but we'll try our best. Yes. It's up to you to not embarrass yourself. It is up to us to provide an opportunity to not embarrass yourself. Uh, but yeah, this this all started uh, for me because uh, if you heard of if you heard it, great. If not, great. <laughs> 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 a uh, teacher in Colorado thought uh, she get one thought she'd uh, really intimidate a kid because well he had the gall to walk into class with a Gadsden flag on his backpack, little patch. You would think that the very blatant. Um, message on the Gadsden flag would have warned her that that wouldn't work. Yeah, she might not have seen a rattlesnake before. I don't know. Um, but yeah, she uh, pulled him out of class and threatened suspension because <laughs> it's, that's a racist flag that you're holding up there. <clears throat> and uh, not only was she schooled by the student, she was also schooled by the parent of the student who let her know that she's a moron and she doesn't know history and she's a moron. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the gist of the story. That's it. That's all you really need to know. Um, yeah, so without further ado, the Gadsden flag says, uh, it's a yellow flag. A little rattlesnake on it. it says, don't tread on me. Uh, the history behind it. No step on snack. No step on snack. The history behind it is it's, uh, um, well, it's inspired by the join or die snake, which is created by Benjamin Franklin, who was the first real abolitionist of the United, of the American colonies. So it's interesting that the Gadsden flag would be considered racist since it was created by an abolitionist. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, she's a moron, and she deserves to be called as such. Now you look like an idiot. Yes. It is also called the Hopkins flag or the Don't Tread on Me flag. Um, it was used by Commodore Essex Hoppins, the United States' first naval commander-in-chief, as his personal ensign during the American Revolution. So I did not know that, and that's fantastic. It was actually... The flag on a ship. Hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, the rattlesnake became a image of independence and freedom for the United States because, well, it's very unique to the United States. The rattlesnake is a North American snake. Um, so they used it as a symbol of freedom. A warning and bite behind the warning. Um Yeah, that's that's the gist of it. It's just of the history behind it. Um, but it's it's become popular. Uh, it's gained in popularity today because, well, as people learn more about history, they learn, hey, it's good to have symbols to show what you're actually fighting for, which is kind of why there's all kinds of symbols in the United States around the revolution of to display what people were fighting for. Um, but yeah, 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 yeah. And it's got various iterations today of being emblazoned on, uh, different flags and whatever, such and sorts and shirts, all that stuff. It's fun. The next one, if I may, is this flag. Have you ever seen it before? Nope. No. This is the original Sons of Liberty flag. Oh, really? 
nine stripe flag with the stripes vertical uh, with five red, four white. It is the first flag banned in North American territories. Because uh, well, the king didn't really like people standing against him. So the British banned the flying of the Sons of Liberty flag. So they changed it to look like this. <laughs> it is 13 stripes. Horizontal. <laughs> Instead of vertical. <laughs> I knew it reminded me of something. That uh, looks familiar. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, the Sons of Liberty would meet often. Uh, they would coordinate their meetings around the Liberty Tree, which wasn't one specific tree. It was a group of was it nine, nine to 13 trees or something like that. Um, and you only knew where the tree was if you were actually a son of liberty and which tree they were actually talking about to meet. Um, but yeah, uh, and like I said, it's the first flag banned in the, <laughs> in the U.S. because the king hates people talking against him. Sounds familiar. Mm. Huh? Mm. Yeah. Um, it, it became a uh, rally. The flag became a uh, rallying um, standard for people to get behind at protests and rallies and such. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. The next one is this one. You seen it before? I mean, it sure looks familiar. It looks familiar. I mean, the last one was stripes. This one's <laughs> stars. Stars. So this one with a 13 stars. Arranged what if we were a, to combine the two flags? What if we were to combine the two <laughs> flags? You might have something there. Is that the headquarters flag? That it would look a lot like the Australian flag. That is the flag that George Washington carried with him to signal wherever he was camped. That was yeah, the headquarters flag. Yeah, it was Washington's headquarters flag. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it is... Uh, Star thirteen stars for the thirteen colonies and uh, six pointed stars on this one, and uh, yeah, it's arranged in a pattern of three two three two three. And uh, yeah, as Keith pointed out, it looks familiar. Well, some of the first renditions of the U.S. flag had this star pattern with the thirteen stripes. So, yeah, yeah. And uh, by the way, the Washington flag still exists. You can see it on display at uh, uh, which museum? Which museum is this? Museum of the American Revolution has it on display. It is not that blue anymore. It's a little faded. It's a little old. Um, but it's made of silk. It's a silk flag. Hmm. Um, next one. Yep, I did the right one. This next one's one of my favorites I learned about. This is the Fort Moultrie flag. Now, in September of 1775, South Carolina Council of Safety was growing more and more concerned with patrolling British warships in Charleston Harbor. The entrance of the harbor was guarded by Sullivan's Island on the north and James Island on the south. To try to get a better defensive position to guard the harbor, the Council of Safety ordered Colonel William Moultrie to take Fort Johnson on the edge of James Island and the small contingent of British soldiers who manned it. Isn't that the the one that uh, that uh, Scooby Doo movie was about? The zombie island. <laughs> no, is that, that why was, it's a half no, moon. That was down in Louisiana. Oh, yeah. This this is uh, my bad. This is the Carolinas. Gets so confused. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Colonel Moultrie sent Captain Charles Coatsworth Pickney, Captain Bernard Elliott, and Captain Francis Marion with fifty men each to take the fort. On the morning of September 15th, they rode to the island, but were surprised to find the gates open and the fort abandoned. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the British had apparently been warned and uh, warned an expedition was planned against the fort, and they had removed all their guns and cannon. Only five British fort soldiers remained who were then captured. <laughs> Those poor guys. <laughs> all right, you guys stay here. Why? Uh, they got to find someone. Oh. <laughs> Before long, the Patriots had mounted their own cannons to defend the fort against British warships. Later that 
Later that day, the British sloop of war Cherokee arrived off Fort Johnson. Out of pride, the Council of Safety wanted to signal the British ship that they were now in possession of the fort. Since there was no official United States flag or South Carolina flag at this point, they instructed Colonel Moultrie to design a flag and hoist it above Fort Johnson. This is the design he came up with. Um, he designed a blue flag with a white crescent moon in the, in the canton, the top left, with the word liberty on the moon. A form of this design dated back to the 1765 Stamp Act riots when South Carolinans protested the act under a blue flag with three crescents in the canton. Keeping with this theme, Moultrie's South Carolina regiments wore blue uniforms with a silver crescent on their caps and the words liberty or death. <laughs> and the real story behind that is that the only thing he was really good at drawing was crescent moons. I can draw a circle, so and I draw a smaller <laughs> circle. <laughs> <laughs> and so when he was asked to design it, he just took a blue sheet of paper and scribbled a little crescent moon in the corner. Uh-huh. Uh, this. Uh, this. <laughs> Moultrie chose the design to honor his soldiers and continue the tradition of using the crescent as a symbol of resistance to tyrannical rule. This flag became known as the Fort Moultrie flag and was the first U.S. flag flown in the South. It also became the flag of the South Carolina Minutemen. And also, fast forward, at a palm tree, you now have the South Carolina flag state flag oh um palm trees in south carolina i guess um in march of 76 moultrie's troops began again we really need to learn history because there's freaking fantastic stories in history that should be on the big screen (laughs) moultrie's troops began building fort sullivan on the southern tip of sullivan's island to further defend the entrance to charleston harbor they built a wall of palmetto logs and sand that was far from finished when a British fleet from the north arrived on June 1st. Hey, look, they're piling up sand. <laughs> the British Army had been confined in Boston during most of 75 due to the colonists surrounding the town. General Henry Clinton needed to secure bases of operation where the British Army would have more control, so he decided to launch an offensive against the southern colonies. Ten warships failed, sailed to Charleston Harbor. Blah, blah, blah. Ten warships sailed to Charleston and began to bombard uh, Fort Sullivan on June 28, 1776. Once again, the soldiers raised the Fort Moultrie flag, uh, designed by Colonel Moultrie. The bombardment lasted throughout the day. In his memoirs, Moultrie later wrote that it was like one continual blaze and roar and clouds of smoke and curling over for hours together. The British warships had 300 cannons between them, but remarkably, the furious cannonade against the fort did little damage because the soft palmetto logs tended to absorb the force of the balls like a sponge. The sand absorbed the rest of the impact. (laughs) During the bombardment, the, the pole holding up the Fort Moultrie flag was broken by a cannon shot, and the flag fell down outside the fort. Sergeant William Jasper, an illiterate youth, ran outside the fort for the flag, risking death from the bullets and cannonballs flying all around him, allegedly crying, we cannot fight without a flag. He replanted the flag on the walls of the fort, earning him a place of renown in the American Revolution. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, they held the fort and the island uh, for a long time. Uh, The British, let's see. They abandoned the Southern Campaign. The British abandoned the Southern Campaign after this battle. <laughs> and uh, the British warships lost 220 men, dead or wounded, but the colonists lost only 12 men with 25 wounded, even though they were outnumbered 5 to 1. So, yeah, that should be a story that you see on the screens because it's hilarious. <clears throat> now, this flag... Do you know this flag? Any of you? Either of you? Once again, it looks familiar, (laughs) but also different. This is the flag of Mike's favorite. Jean-Paul Jones. (laughs) Revolution hero. (laughs) This is the Serapis flag. The one, the only. Now, we've gone through the story of how he got the Serapis and all this stuff. Oh, but... I have not yet begun to fight. Just such a good story. Basically sinks his own ship in order to sink 
the British ship and then capture the nearby Serapis <laughs> to then use as his own ship. <laughs> if you ever find yourself in the middle of an ocean surrounded by other ships that are sinking your ship, the only thing to do is take someone else's ship if the, so that you can continue to sink their ships. If the British have three ships and John Paul Jones has one ship, John, John Paul, Paul Jones, Jones has, has two three, has two ships. Has two ships. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> he will sink his ship to capture the other two. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyways, this flag came to be because. Uh, um. Sorry, the Balm Richard is what he, uh, um, let's see, was severely damaged. Taking water, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But anyways, <sighs> this flag was created because, well, after capturing a damaged British ship, he needed to get repairs. So he went to the Netherlands to get repairs because they were close and not British. <laughs> He sails into port and Netherlands immediately say, uh, you don't have a flag. You're a pirate and we're going to turn you over to the British. And John Powell Jones says, oh, wait, 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 wait a minute. Guys, send a letter to Franklin. He's in France. Talk, he'll, he'll, he'll vet me. He'll vet me. Ben Franklin <laughs> decides the U.S. still doesn't have an official flag. And he didn't know that back in the colonies, they were working on an official flag. So he scribbled on a piece of paper the description of a flag, sent it back. John Paul Jones made the description. And the, du and the Netherlands, uh, the Dutch were like, oh, okay, yeah, you're official then. <laughs> Go ahead, fix your ship. <laughs> So that, there it is. That's the first internationally recognized U.S. flag was John Paul Jones flag. And, and it, was, <laughs> it was designed this way with the blue stripes by accident. Yes. Misunderstanding, miscommunication even. Uh-huh. And yet the, the, the actual description. So this is, I, I, wanna, I, want, I want you to see if you, can, if you can figure out how they got the blue stripes from this description. <laughs> resolved that the flag of the United States be 13 stripes, alternate red and white, that the Union be 13 stars, white in a blue field, representing a new constellation. I heard blue field. Yes, so naturally. <laughs> blue! So naturally. Blue and red and white and red and white and, and it's blue. Not even, and <laughs> it's not even a pattern. <laughs> it's not a pattern <laughs> at all. It's just stitched together. All right, give me a blue stripe. Yeah, here's a blue stripe. Red, white, and start stitching it together. Yeah, there's our flag. And the Dutch re reading Franklin's description, looking up at his flag, Franklin's description, his flag. Yeah, it checks out. Yeah, it checks out. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean it checks out? He sunk four British ships. I don't, what, what do you want? <laughs> we added the blue stripes just for Mr. Jones. He, he added the blue stripes and dared the Dutch to call him out on it. The Chuck Norris of his time. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, love it. Do a whole, do a whole TV series on John Paul Jones. I'd I'd be fine with that. Whether whether all the filler material is real or not, <laughs> I'd believe it. <laughs> I wonder if there's any relation between John Paul and Davy. <laughs> Maybe. Had to send them somewhere. This flag. I'm sure you've seen it before. Yes? No? I actually Maybe. have not. You have not seen this before. No. This flag is uh, often referred to as the pine tree flag, appeal to ah, heaven flag. The Washington flag. Um, <clears throat> this was the flag designed by Washington to fly over the... Uh, fleet of the uh, colonists. The colony's first naval fleet flew six ships, had this flag flying over the top of them, and appealed to heaven. And it said, the pine tree is a white pine, 
So this was a middle well, finger to racist. the British. <laughs> but the, flying this flag on their warships as they sailed against British warships was a middle finger to the British because the British wanted to build their ships out of the white pines that grew in North America. And so they decided, hey, let's slap a white pine on this flag flying over a ship made of white pine. <laughs> <laughs> to signal to the British that you are not getting any more white pine for your warship. Checks out. <laughs> Checks out. <laughs> Screw you and the ships you sailed in on. <laughs> yeah. There's all, all kinds of depictions of this. Um, Was- this is Washington's cruisers flag. So the six cruisers of the... Yeah. Um, but another variation, Bunker Hill had a similar flag. Flag of New England has a pine tree on it. The Continental New England Army had a pine tree flag. They, they slapped the pine tree wherever they could up in the New England area to let them, let the British know, <laughs> go away. <laughs> now this flag, I have never seen this one before. The Bucks of America. I've, I've never seen that one either. And I've never seen this star pattern. It's a, How many are there? It's a circle that, of nine. Is that also 13? No, it, that's... Uh, it's a circle of nine stars with four in the middle of the circle. So it's 13 oh yeah, stars. 13. And again, a white pine tree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with a deer buck leaping elegantly underneath it. And the words, uh, the Bucks of America. This, this flag... Uh, was created by John Hancock and given to the regiment under the leadership of George Middleton. Now, George Middleton led a black militia company called the Bucks of America. Um, there's not a whole lot of um, stuff that survived about the history of this militia, um, but they guarded the they suspect that they mostly guarded the property of Boston merchants during the revolution and may have also been known as the protectors. Uh, near the close of the revolution is when they are presented with this flag from John Hancock. Um, <clears throat> and you can find this flag on display at the collections of Massachusetts historical society. Um, yeah, I just thought that was interesting. It's little, little, uh, black history that, you'll probably never hear about in Black History Month is a regiment of blacks that decided to get together and protect merchants' homes and uh, buildings from being destroyed by the British. Hmm. Um, Outside of that, there's tons of flags. Some of these are duplicates, but you get the idea. Tons of flags from the Revolution that you can find links provided um yeah and a lot of them have very similar symbols because again some sort of unity in symbols to show what they're fighting for the cause that they are rallying behind moving on from flags do to do oh sorry one more flag i lied in uh tejas I'm sure you've seen some iteration of come and take it. <laughs> and this, this is that flag. Uh, the, uh, the old star above the cannon, come and take it. <laughs> um, the story of this flag is uh, this flew over the start of the Texas Revolution where Texas gained its independence from uh, Mexico. Um, <clears throat> but uh, Mexico gave uh, the Texan settlement a cannon to help protect themselves from the uh, Native Americans going around. And then, uh, well, they decided they wanted the cannon back. And they sent the army to go and take the cannon back from the colonists. And the army woke up in the morning and saw this flag flying <laughs> above the town. 
above the fort. Come and take it. <laughs> yeah, you can have it. That's that's One the most three Texas pound ball thing. at a time. That is the most Texas thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, it's from the Battle of Gonzales. Um, on American call us in the town that were refusing to give back a cannon. Did they win? <laughs> <laughs> back to Mexican soldiers that they had received in 1831 fin off natives in America. They wanted it now to defend themselves from Mexican General Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana, increasingly aggressive actions against the colonists. As the Texas State Historical Association notes, the battle was actually more of a skirmish, but it did mark a definitive break in relations between the Mexicans and the colonists. No. <laughs> See, now, if John Paul Jones had been there, they would have kept their cannon and ended up with two extra cannons. <laughs> At the end of the fight. No, they would have kept their cannon. He would have used... He would have fired every He would have melted the the first cannon down, but he would have ended up with two extra cannons at the end. (laughs) Yeah, the fort did fall. Um, But a year later, Texas was independent. So... (laughs) Against insurmountable odds, Texas stands there, says... Come and take it. <laughs> You're going to lose. And? <laughs> Not going to lose as much as you. <laughs> <laughs> we might lose, but you're the one that's going to hurt afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> you may hurt us, but we will kill you. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. These little guys. Medals. Of honor. Very symbolic uh, piece of American history. Indeed. Now, the uh, the uh, origin for the Medal of Honor stems from the Revolution, where George well, Washington would give badges of merit. That, that Medal of Honor just has all kinds of Nazi paraphernalia all over it. Look at that. <laughs> it's almost Some as if... Lightning bolts and eagle wings. It's and- almost as if the Nazis used certain symbolism to try to send a certain message they were trying to hide behind. Almost. Almost. Almost as if that. Um, but yeah, each branch has their own uh, Medal of Honor, their own design, Medal of Honor. That's why there's three different pictures designs there. I think some of them are pretty much the same. I'm guessing the one with the anchor is the Navy? Correct, King Friday. Awesome. Um, the... Uh, yeah, that's that's the navy on the right. The one on the left, that's the army, and that one in the middle, marines, is the air force. Oh, the marines is not. I would have I would have thought that was the marines with all the thunderbolts and lightning. Very very frightening. The yes. marines share uh, the navy. The marine and coast guard and the navy all share the one on the right. Oh, they all use that design. Well. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Well, the Marines can't really go anywhere unless the Navy drops them off. <laughs> and the Coast Guard is uh, the Navy just staying at home, basically. And, you know, military bases across abroad. But anyway, um, but sim- symbolism on here is, um, see, the one in the middle there with the Army uh, the one in the middle was the Air Force. Sorry, the one on the left. My apologies. Um, so the little person pictured there is a profile of Minerva, the helmeted goddess of wisdom and war, in the center of the thing there. Uh, Glad I didn't make the comment about why does the army have a little gay man in there. <laughs> oh, that would be the navy. Now that's the Navy. (laughs) Oh, Um, yeah, the gay men getting bashed by the shield. I see that now. Yes, yes. yes. Um, The wreath around the outside of both the Army and Air Force is a symbol of victory. They added that in 1904. Oh. Yeah. And these little little green things here um, are uh, oak clusters. Uh, to represent strength. Makes sense, because the mighty oak. Uh, the eagle on the top 
Uh, it's a symbol of the U.S. It's also what you see on the seal of the U.S. And also, if you look at this ribbon with the stars, it looks a little familiar. A little, little familiar there. Um, it's got 13 stars, 13 original colonies. It is very similar, though not exactly similar, to Washington's... Um, uh, Washington's flag. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And I think, let's see, the Navy, so uh, that's Minerva again, uh, is depicted warding off a man clutching snakes in his hand meant to represent discord. The shield in Minerva's right hand is representative of the union of our states, while the bundle of rods and axe blade in her left is symbolic of authority. The owl uh, perched on her helmet is a symbol of wisdom. So there you go. Um, yeah. And then if you count the stars around the Navy uh, Medal of Honor, the 34 stars um, it is the number, let's see, the number of stars on the U.S. flag in 1862. Each star represents a state from both United from both Union and Confederate states. So that's what that's for. It's the Union of the states after the Civil War is what's represented there. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, and the Air Force. Sorry. Uh, the coat of arms is what that is. The lightning bolts at the top of the middle are borrowed from the Air Force coat of arms. And Lady Liberty in the middle. It's the Navy is super creative. <laughs> and they also have the 34 stars, the yoke clusters, and the wreath. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So there it is. So uh, those that go above and beyond the call of duty receive this medal. And there's only been a handful of people that have earned two medals. And not too long ago, we covered the story of a man who earned two medals of honor caught on camera, sacrificing himself to save uh, his uh, his brothers in arms. This one is the saber that the Marines carry for the Marine Corps. Now the story behind this is the first uh, the first outing for the Marines was the Barbary Wars, where they proceeded to have zero losses against the Barbary pirates. <laughs> and told them to sit down, shut up, and stop bugging our fleets, <laughs> our merchant ships. And in return, the Barbary pirates said, Mike gives up and gave us the leader of the uh, Barbary um, pirates handed over uh, this sword, and the Marines proceeded to make copies of the sword, and it is now basically just a dress uniform thing not necessarily used for combat because, well, there's a little more efficient things than swords right now for combat. But, <clears throat> yeah, that's a quick rundown of history for the Marines, the Marine sword. The uh, Barbary Wars, really good story. Um, but a really good story that just shows <laughs> the, the leather. It's where leathernecks comes from because... Um, whenever people were captured by the Barbary pirates, they behead them. And so the Marines wore really thick, tough pieces of leather around their necks. So whenever they got into a tussle with the Barbaries, they couldn't chop their heads off. So <laughs> they just chop into a chunk of leather and then proceed to get beaten by the Marine. <laughs> So nothing's really changed in the Marines. <laughs> nothing's changed in the Marines. But yeah, so a proper good symbol of Americana there. Um, nope, nope, nope. There it is. Um, so this one, the Great Seal of the United States. So on the left is the front. That's what everyone always sees. And on the right is the back of the seal, which is rarely displayed unless you look at a $1 bill and it's on there. Um, the uh, description at the, the uh, description, Inuit 
on the back. Uh, Anuit Coptis Novus Ordo Seclala. My Latin is perfect. Um, and it says, where'd you go? Um, Anuit means to nod, assent, to favor, or smile upon, and Coptis means undertakings, endeavors, beginnings. So Anuit Coptis means um, uh, favors, undertakings. The subject must be supplied. Who favors the eye of providence? So basically a whole giant reference to God, right? <laughs> right there on the back of the United States seal. God favors us is essentially what they're saying. Mm. God favor us. So it's a plea for God to give us favor. Um, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, uh, <clears throat> and then, of course, there's the eagle with the, all its fun stuff, the 13 stars, e pluribus unum from many one. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then... Um, one that's one that's fun is uh, this one. This was in the running to be the seal of the United States, which I so wish it was. That's but awesome. <laughs> Rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. Yep, and it's uh, the picture shown is Moses and the Israelites standing on dry ground with uh, God as the pillar of fire and the cloud. Uh, standing above the Egyptians who are now drowning in the sea that is no longer parted. <laughs> Sadly, Ben Franklin, yes, the agnostic atheist Ben Franklin, his design was not used for the great seal of the United States, but it should be. <laughs> it should be. Because, I agree, rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. <laughs> Um, uh, la, 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 la. so uh frank franklin's uh original uh design idea uh moses in the dress of a high priest standing on the shore and extending his hand over the sea thereby causing this the same to overwhelm pharaoh who is sitting in an open chariot a crown on his head and a sword in his hand, raised from a pillar of fire in the clouds, reaching to Moses um, to express that he acts by the command of the deity. <clears throat> Motto, rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. The words in the dress of a high priest are inserted with a... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then it's edits to the thing. Jefferson edited part of Franklin's design, uh, was recommended by the first committee for the reverse side of the Great Seal. This was almost on the back of the Great Seal. Um, <clears throat> yeah. No, no sketch was made of their design. The above, the drawing that we see here was made by Benson J. Lossing for Harper's New Monthly Magazine in July 1856. Lossing did not include a design element specif uh, uh didn't include the rays from a pillar of fire in the clouds reaching to Moses. So he missed something. <laughs> Um. Yeah, and Jefferson, of course, being the, again, the anti-Christ type person he is because he cut out Christ's words from the Bible, wanted to make sure it was clear that God was represented correctly on the seal of the United States. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. Uh, it says here, rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God echoes the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by the Creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. The word government originates from an ancient word meaning to steer or pilot, as with a ship. First and foremost, that ship's passengers and crew must be able to travel safely to their destination. 
What is America's goal? According to Declaration of Independence, it is to provide people with the opportunity to experience life and liberty, safety and happiness. The preamble to the Constitution elaborates, we the people of the United States are to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, secure the blessing of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. These goals require government uh, require government with the power to protect its citizens. The framers of the United States Constitution understood this and included a provision, Article 4, Section 4, that essentially says the United States shall protect its people from foreign invasions and from domestic violence, and many considered self-inflicted harm the more likely threat to America. Not uh, cutting yourself, but uh, a government overreaching its uh, limits. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So that's uh, that's that one. I need to go back. We have to go back, Marty. <laughs> <laughs> this one, Lady Justice. Oh yay! Where where is that statue? I am not sure. Um, not sure where that one's actually from. Somewhere hmm. I have never been. Correct. Um, there's various depictions of her. Some have her blindfolded as she holds up the scales. Others are like this one where she's looking away from the scales. Um, <clears throat> but most of the time, I say most of the time because I did find a few. She is looking away from the scale because justice is supposed to be impartial, blind, blind and oh, impartial. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so uh, the scales of justice are to be weighed blindly and impartially. And in her right hand, which was interesting because as I was trying to find a good picture showing uh, Lady Justice, the sword was often cropped out of the picture. <laughs> Because part of justice is the execution of justice. Mm. And however the scales fall, that's where Lady Liberty's sword is supposed to fall as well. That's kind of the point. But, you know, if justice isn't blind, the sword cannot blindly fall where justice is supposed to be. Um, But yeah, her statue is pretty much everywhere a courthouse can be found in the United States. Mm. Um there's one on top of the uh, Supreme Court building, I believe, as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <clears throat> oh, I guess the toga means something, too, apparently. Um, <coughs> her toga outfit is used to signify the mantle of responsibility and high-level philosophy that accompanies those who practice law and enforce justice. Sure. <laughs> I just figured, you know, she was created during Greek times, so it's common to have robes. Um, If you go into the halls of Congress, oh, I didn't put the other picture in there. If you go into the halls of Congress, there is a uh, um, an area that's the uh, relief. It's got relief portraits of lawgivers throughout history. And among those relief portraits is this guy. Moses. Well, that's not saying that they have a religious thing. They're just saying that he's a great lawgiver. Yes, and which law did he deliver? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He's he's accompanied by uh, other people you may know, such as uh, uh, Hammurabi, um, trying to find people that are Napoleon the First, uh, Saint Louis, Thomas Jefferson, um, Sir William Blackstone, Jean Baptiste Colbert, um, yeah, yeah, George Mason, and some other names that I can't even begin to try to pronounce. <laughs> Um, but yeah, a bunch of relief portraits of the great lawgivers, and among them is Moses, who gave us the law. But yeah, no, no, what, 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 whatever. Uh, uh, this this uh, symbol here, this is the flag of Virginia. However, this uh, symbol was also commonplace during the 
revolution uh, with the phrase sic semper tyrannis. Death to ty- tyrants, something Death. like that. Uh, I think officially it is uh, thus always to tyrants. Thus always to tyrants? What is thus always to tyrants? Mean? Well, as you can see. Oh, this? Thus, basically? Thus always to tyrants. As you so can see. So demonstrating? The tyrant is clearly subdued <laughs> after some sort of battle. Thus always to tyrants. Gotcha. Okay, yes. so you demonstrate and say this for tyrants. That's that's what it means. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um <clears throat> But yeah, it's uh, um, it's commonplace among a lot of U.S. thing. The 149th Fighter Squadron has that as their motto: Six Emperor Tyrannus," with an eagle carrying a bomb and a missile. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's the uh, great seal of the Commonwealth of Virginia, not the state of Virginia, the Commonwealth of Virginia. They get insulted if you say it wrong, I guess. Um, it's the motto of the United States Navy as well, the tax submarine, um, named after Virginia, the USS Virginia. Before that, it was the motto of the nuclear power cruiser, USS Virginia. So it's, uh, it's all over everywhere. <laughs> um, uh, da, 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 da. Oh, that's kind of cool. Um, so the phrase was recommended by George Mason to the Virginia Convention in 76 as part of the Commonwealth seal. The seal of the Commonwealth of Virginia shows virtue, spear in hand, with her foot on the uh, recumbent form of tyranny, whose crown lies nearby. The seal was planned by Mason and designed by George Wythe, who signed the United States Declaration of Independence and taught law to Thomas Jefferson. A joke referencing the image on the seal that dates as far back as the Civil War is that Six Semper Tyrannus actually means get your foot off my neck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, happy while united was the slogan on a medal coined by the state of virginia in 1780 first envisioned by thomas jefferson the medal was minted and designed to be given to indian signatories to the treaties jefferson planned with the Na- indians of virginia the medal portrays a virginia colonial sitting enjoying a peace pipe with a native american the, the obverse portrays a variation of the Virginia state seal of the state symbol standing triumphant over a slain enemy with the, with the legend, rebellion to tyrants is obedient to God. <laughs> so, so Jefferson made these coins with on one side, hey, that yeah, let's have a treaty. Here's a coin to signify the greatness of our treaty. So long as, uh, so long as we're united, we're happy. Native American turns the coin over Rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. So turn on us. <laughs> and uh, you'll be like this guy on the ground with a spear and stuff. <laughs> uh, next is this little guy. The Liberty Bell. The Liberty Bell. The actual name of the bell has been lost in time. Some people just call it the Liberty Bell. Um, but, um, the story behind it is it rang. They can't confirm whether or not the bell rang after a declaration of independence or the constitution was made and all that stuff. Um, the really wide crack you see is actually a repair to the bell. So it had a, it had a really small crack and they had to widen the crack to try to get rid of any fissures in it to try to repair the bell. And it lasted for a while, and then it cracked even more on another part, and so they retired the bell. Um, it was originally a different bell. It was melted down and recast here in the United States. Um, but on the uh, inscription on the bell, um, it has a verse from the Bible Proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. But, you know, the founders were anti-religious, not not God-fearing people at all. Um, 
Uh, Speaker of the Pennsylvania Assembly, Isaac Norris, chose the inscription for the State House Bell in 1751, possibly to commemorate the 50th anniversary of William Penn's 1701 Charter of Privileges, which granted religious liberties and political self-government to the people of Pennsylvania. The inscription of liberty on the State House Bell, known as the Liberty Bell, went unnoticed during the Revolutionary War. After the war, abolitionists seeking to end slavery in America were inspired by the Bell's message. Um... Um, it's traveled across the country um, in the 1800s, um, but since then it's basically sat still because it's old and they don't want it to break anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, the the um, little like not really museum, but the little uh, uh, building that they have around it is pretty cool. Yes, it is. Um, I've that, been there. That. <clears throat> I have not. I've never been to Pennsylvania. So what's really weird about going here, I don't know if you experienced this too, Mike, but so you're in Pennsylvania and outside of this area, I hate it. Because <laughs> it's, yes. it's just metropolitan garbage outside of this area. There's a lot of ghetto. Yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> um, but what they did with the stuff around Independence Hall, really cool. Um, if I remember right, it was Franklin is buried nearby like a block uh, or two away from there I or think something so yeah um and a couple other founders but anyways going around it's your typical kind of touristy whatever but as soon as i walked into independence hall it was a certain reverence just immediately hit me as soon as i walked yeah. in it's like oh oh this is a special place i would even say it's a holy place mm. um because, yeah, it is very different. Uh, if you're, for me, um, if you're a member of LDS Church and you go to the temple, it was not too far off from that kind of feeling where you walk in and it's just peace, mm. reverence, different than outside. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and you see all the little desks and everything, and uh, it's it's cool. It's cool. Really cool. That's the only reason why I would ever want to go back to Pennsylvania again is to experience that again. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, see, I thought there was a thing on here. So the bell can't ring anymore, um, but they do have a recording of the sound. No kidding. Where did I see? Ah, sound of the Larry Bell. Let's see if this plays. See if we can hear this. So, <clears throat> this is what the Liberty Bell sounds like. When was this recording taken? Um, it was recorded into a wax disc <laughs> in the, the 1800s and then uh, digitized. Yeah, so they, thanks to modern computer modeling, we may have a closer idea of exactly how the bell sounded when Benjamin Franklin heard it. Oh, so this was some kind of a model? Yeah. Yes. So in 1999, graduate students from Pennsylvania State University were able to digitally create a structural model of the Liberty Bell. From this computer model, they were able to mathematically equate the vibration of the bell and add sound, knowing, that, the sound got it. knowing that the tone of the bell was E-flat. They were able to come up with a fairly close approximation for the original sound of the Liberty Bell. Um, another thing I saw is... Oh, yep. And then they tapped the bell also on D-Day, 1944. Hmm. So this is what they believe it sounded like before it cracked. So yeah, that kind of gave me chills. <laughs> and then this on uh, D-Day, um, Janu June 6, 1944, the Liberty Bell was struck by Philadelphia Mayor uh, Bernard Samuels seven times, one time for each of the letters in the word Liberty, in a nationwide broadcast to announce the Allied invasion of Europe on the beaches of Normandy, France. So this is what it sounded like in 1944. Today is D-Day, destined to go down in history as one never to be forgotten, for it's heralded the beginning of liberation for the countless millions of enslaved peoples throughout German-dominated Europe. And to those millions, 
the landings of the Allied troops spell the precious words of liberty. Standing as a symbol of our priceless freedom through the years is the American symbol of liberty, the Liberty Bell in Independence Hall, Philadelphia. Silent through the years, this bell once more peals out the strokes of liberty to symbolize the day of liberation for the enslaved peoples from Independence Hall in Philadelphia. WIP brings to its listeners the seven strokes of liberty from the world-famed Liberty Bell. So that's what it sounded like in 1944, even with the crack. crack yep. 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 You know, I know a couple of really good welders. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Do they work in bronze? I don't know. Ah, ah, see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so that, and as, as noted in that uh, uh, WIP CBS radio broadcast, Famed throughout the world. Everybody knows about the Liberty Bell. Um, so, uh, why why is knowing all of this important? Well, because if you don't pay attention to it, you might think that it's okay to ban free speech, for one. <laughs> that stupid story we covered. In the regular show, but also New York City Council advances a bid that would yank monuments honoring Washington, Jefferson, and Columbus. Um, and this this leads into yeah. what Keith is researching for our next little tidbit of history. Um, but New York City Council just passed a budget that's already been deemed a flop. Um, so, excuse me. <laughs> it... Uh, it advances a plan that could kill off monuments honoring figures such as George Washington. The Democratic-led Council's Cultural Affairs Committee is set to hold a public hearing Tuesday on a proposal to yank artworks from city property dedicated to historical figures such as George Washington, Peter Stuyvesant, and Christopher Columbus because of their controversial pasts. But critics immediately branded the effort as cancel culture run amok. Uh, correct. <laughs> Columbus was a migrant, fumed Angelo Vivolo, president of the Columbus Heritage Coalition. (laughs) (laughs) Into what jurisdiction? (laughs) Ah, But yeah. Um, They want to tear down the statues because, um, well, you know, George Washington owned slaves once upon a time. Yep, he did. And Jefferson owned slaves. Yep, he did. And Columbus got the Native Americans sick. Yep, he did. And? (laughs) Do you think that wouldn't have happened? (laughs) Like, so? (laughs) Like, Um, consequential, yes, but like, that's what happens when civilizations collide. Anyway, we'll go over that later. But, uh, yeah, and we've time. we've gone through it multiple times with Washington and Jefferson. They uh well, Virginia wouldn't have been able to have provisions to get rid of slaves if it wasn't for Washington and Jefferson's work to free slaves. But they're also looking at renaming schools and all that stuff cuz you know, they're named after Jefferson and Washington and all those and we can't be having such racist things on there and you know, they've done their homework so they won't look like fools when the time comes to do all this. And I'm sure they'll replace it with some wonderful piece of artwork that's like some sort of contorted ball that symbols um, diversity or something. Of course. Yeah, because, you know. They'll just replace it with a Black Lives Matter fist. Yes, and it won't look like a fist. (laughs) Oh, like the Martin Luther King Statue, yes. The, the, oh, the, the embrace arms. thing. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it yes. looks grotesque from every angle. Quite like, impressive. If like you ask good, me. like good communists <laughs> following the manifesto and the goals of communist takeover. They have to replace anything that looks great and has a great history 
with something repulsive, disgusting, and means nothing. Of course. Of course. That is why history is important. That is why symbols are important, because they can lead us to find history we may have forgotten about or never learned about. And if we don't, we're just doomed to repeat the lessons that were taken away. Yep. Every time. Only every time. Only every time. But what a stupid son of a bitch. <laughs> but, you know, something about Rome, I guess. <laughs> which 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 thing about Rome? Something about it. Something about something about Rome. Thinking about it. History. When in Rome. When in Rome, do as the Romans do and tear down your statues. Is that what Romans did? Well, I mean, did you see all of their statues? They were all nude. Of course they do them. <laughs> they had to at some point. One thing that, that's interesting that I saw once upon a time was uh, a comparison of statues done at different periods of time of Rome of the same person. I think it was one of the emperors or whatever of Rome. And the uh, first statue was okay. And the second statue was like the peak of Rome. And it looked really great. It's what you think about when you think of statues and faces and all that stuff. The third one was toward... A muscly naked man holding some kind of disc in his arm. Right. The the Yes. The perfect man, basically, sculpted ah. with the nice chiseled chin and all that jazz. And then the third one was at near the collapse of Rome, and it looked like trash. Ah. <laughs> it's like, I think we're somewhere between two and three. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere between two and three. Well, that's optimistic. Actually, we might be past three because we're not was, even doing I was gonna sculptures say. anymore like that. We're just doing... I was, I was going to yeah. say, so the third one had blue hair? Is that... <laughs> well, all the paints, you know, worn <laughs> the, off over The time. paint worn off over time, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, that's, uh, that, that's uh, some American symbolism for you. Some things to look into and... Yes, some of it points to some not so good things, but others of it point to some great, awesome things, like awesome oh. stories of a guy that captured British warships. <laughs> yeah, for fun. So, <laughs> so yeah. Well, that's that's it. That's all I got. So, uh, do all your subscribing, you know, like, and subscribe, liking. follow, share. Sharing is good. Sharing, Sharing is caring. Is caring. That's Unless it's been, syphilis, don't do that. Don't, That's bad. That's a hard pass. It's a hard pass. <laughs> but also check out our uh, our link we got here for Redemption Tactical. Um, go have a gander at the stuff that they got. Really awesome company. And uh, we'll catch you guys next time. Bye. 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 A bullseye. Excellent shot, Maurice. Right back on. (laughs) Right back on. Oh, and we're recording again. Yes. If you need to potty break, now's the time to potty break. We don't have time for a potty break. We don't have time. Hold it. My bedtime was an hour ago. Here's a bottle. (laughs) I think I'll be okay. All right. Fine, if you must. Nope, nope, nope. Stop that. Stop doing that. There it is. There it is. Aptly. Now I can hit that button and go like that again. He's got the clap and he's giving (laughs) it to you. Yes. I just have to pull this stuff open so I can educate. Um, And we'll do the slice of history. Edumacation. Intro for this. (laughs) 
perfect. Oh. <laughs> oh no, we're not going to be monetized on YouTube. Ah. Uh. <laughs> it's almost wow. as if they think that we're monetized. Oh, wait. Oh. Perfect. Now I just make sure it shows correctly on here. There we go. Ha ha! Ha 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 I have the technology. I am the master commander. Okay. <clears throat> I I'm all I'm all I'm all set. I'm all ready. Ready for music. Are are you? Yes. Okay then. Quite. Let's do it. <laughs> 